This week, I'm talking Electric Future with Ben Johnson, Director of Product Management for Mitchell One. Sit tight, because you don't want to miss it. Welcome to Ratchet & Rich Radio, your podcast for strategies and inspiration for auto care success. I'm Chris Jones, host and editor at Ratchet & Wrench. This week, Ben and I dive into what the electric future holds, what ADOS is all about, and how shops can get ready to service EVs and ADOS-equipped vehicles starting today. Here's Ben. I know you participate in several industry associations relative to emerging technologies. What are you hearing about that shops and technicians are going to have to be preparing for? Well, that's a good question. It's a pretty easy answer. Um, that one, it really boils down to two subjects and a kind of a common theme. And the subjects are EVs as in electric vehicles and ADOS, Advanced Driver Assistance Systems. You know, EV um, discussions, tend, you know, we tend to think about EVs as just battery electric vehicles, but they're not simply around just that electric powertrain but the electrification of uh, internal combustion engine uh, equipped vehicles as well, for example, hybrid and plug-in hybrid and, and all the variations of that. So in the discussion isn't always just about the powertrain and the, and the battery system, but other supporting systems, which are emerging to support those. Okay. That's pretty much what we're hearing as well. So talk about EVs first, as there seems to be a lot of fear and uncertainty surrounding that particular subject. For example, you know, we hear they're going to be pretty much you know, maintenance-free. Can you comment on that? Well, that's, that's always what they try to sell us, right? <laughs> right. Um, you know, we hear about that a lot as well. So first of all, we should probably just let's frame up for everybody what the reality is about EVs. There's a lot of talk about them. I hear myself that you know, somewhere between 80 and 120 models are slated to launch in process now and over the next couple of years. But, you know, so far, there's a lot of hype, but the launches are being planned for some pretty tepid demand. I mean, we hear some reasonable expectations for the F-150 Lightning and the uh, Mach-E, but overall, you know, the EV market still, if you, most of the surveys we see show that people are still pretty hesitant. Um, and even the most optimistic forecasts that I've seen so far indicate that by 2035, somewhere around 5% of the vehicles found on the road will be in what we call the aftermarket sweet spot, you know, eight years old, out of warranty for most part. Um, and those will, those, only about 5% of those will truly be EV. And that says without an internal combustion engine. Now, having said that, there will be plenty of vehicles with internal combustion engines plus some sort of electrification, you know, hybrid or mild hybrid, plug-in hybrid, you know, advanced start-stop technologies and things like that. But, you know, for anybody that's worried that they, you know, have to, you know, get rid of their compression tester for ICE engines, uh, needs to hang on to that for a long time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a while. So, first of all, you know, this isn't something we have to think about today and tomorrow as far as volume. Secondly, though, when we think about EVs, we tend to think about, as you said, the, the no maintenance electric motor, very few moving parts, you know, and for the motor itself, that's, that's an accurate statement. I mean, there's not much to it. But that electric motor can create a lot of instant torque. You know, that, that torque still has to be applied to the drive wheels and does that through CV joints and drive axles and, you know, some sort of a gearbox or transmission generally or differential. Um, and we 
it, it, the, the jury's still out as to, you know, what's going to happen over time once these things really start accumulating miles um, uh, to those systems. I mean, even the kind of the benchmark of the industry, Tesla has had a, a number of issues with their electric motors where they had some ground issues that, the, that it was heating up the motor bearings and causing premature failure. So, you know, there, there's a variety of things that can happen just to the drivetrain. But even without that, there's a bunch of other um, supporting systems that will have to be dealt with. Um, and, you know, those things are, you know, things like the HVAC system. You know, think about that. It's, you know, we're used to a belt-driven compressor. Everything kind of relies on that internal combustion engine, right? So when that comes out of the picture, you think about now we've got an electric um, heat pump or a reverse cycle variable speed uh, air conditioning compressor that's not only responsible for keeping the passengers comfortable, but also for keeping the batteries conditioned so that they uh, don't overheat and so that they can accept a charge and things like that. Um, and, and, and even the, you know, I keep talking about the high voltage battery. A lot of people now are starting to talk about the 12 volt battery, the traditional 12 volt battery that still runs radios and air conditioning blower motors and, you know, power steering and, and electronic braking systems and things like that. You know, in the past, that 12 volt battery has only been responsible for getting the engine started and then the engine takes care of everything else through the alternator, right? Well, now when we unplug that car from the charging system, that battery goes into immediate discharge mode. So, you know, where we used to run a 12 volt battery until it was probably, I don't know, 10, 15, 20% efficient, you know, if it would just spin the motor over a couple of times, the car would start. We didn't even know the battery was going bad. With electric vehicles, I think you're going to find that when that thing gets down much below, I don't know, 80, 70, 80%, um, we're going to probably have to replace that battery more frequently because it's not, it's not going to have the capacity to go the distance, even the distance that that uh, high voltage battery will carry the, the powertrain. So there's, you know, there's a number of things there that, that are not just powertrain related that people are going to have to think about maintaining on these, uh, on these EV vehicles. You know, one of my favorites, drag this out too long, but is braking. You know, it's true that with regenerative braking, we're hearing stories about brake pads that'll last, you know, 80, 100,000 miles. But now we're starting to see, especially in the Rust Belt states, where they're, um, they're starting to recommend the calipers be serviced every year. And that means just removing them and cleaning them and greasing the slides because they're, because they're not used like they used to be. They're actually freezing up. They're rusting uh, to, the, to the mounting uh, brackets. And then when the brakes are needed, the calipers aren't free to float like, like they're supposed to to operate properly. So you know, I think there's gonna be a number of maintenance items that come up that we've never done before. There will certainly be some maintenance that we won't be doing anymore, um, but I think it's all gonna kind of balance out. And I think we've got a lot of interesting challenges and learning to do as these, uh, as these vehicles continue to you know, gain popularity. Wow, thanks for that. Yeah, let's shift gears to ADOS for a minute. I mean, these systems are becoming far more prevalent in the car park right now. Any thoughts on those? Yes, and you're right. They're absolutely, I mean, that's, that's a technology that's here and I think it's here to stay. So first of all, you know, ADOS, I, I don't even know exactly where it got invented, uh, but I think it's an aftermarket invented term. Um, you look in a lot of OE service information and you, you type in ADOS and they don't give you any returns back. Because, and, and it's kind of an industry contrived category about a variety of systems. So it's not a single thing, right? I mean, you might hear about, you know, blind, side, blind spot monitoring or adaptive cruise control or things like that. 
these are all examples of things that we've kind of placed in this ADOS category. Um, but they're, they're, it's, it's a pretty broad spectrum of, of, uh, of features. And the features are pretty well liked by the public. Um, this is something that the government had to push down their, their throats and they're all upset about it. Why this category kind of excites and scares me. You know, many times in our history, and I've been around uh, a long time, you know, we, we, as new technologies came out, like I, I'm thinking about ABS braking. I'm, yes, I'm that old. Um, and as these, as these systems started coming out, I saw a lot of mechanics that said, you know what? This is too complicated for me. I don't want any part of it. I'm just gonna focus on, you know, whatever, whatever it's in the suspension or, or what have you, um, which, you know, frankly, never really worked well for them. But the, the, the challenge with ADOS and the systems that make it up is you can't really make that decision. If you tell me, and, and I have, I've had shops that say, you know, well, we haven't worked on any ADOS. Well, on a lot of cars, you know, I'll use a Cadillac as an example. Just to replace an air conditioning compressor or air, air conditioning condenser on a Cadillac CTS, you've got to move a little black box out of the way to get access to it. And that black box is the radar, the forward-facing radar system. So even though you, you, you did the job right, you, you took the part off, you, you did the job, you put the part back on, um, and you sent it down the road, if you did not check the calibration on that radar sensor, you put the car down the road with a potential problem. Um, and that's what I think, I think a lot of people are working on ADOS, not specifically, but having to move, get access to things. And these sensors are all around the outside of the vehicle so that they can monitor things. And I think that's going to cause problems. And when that happens, uh, sometimes the vehicle can, uh, you know, can behave in a way that it shouldn't. Yeah. And I've heard of cars that you know, when applying braking, when going on an overpass because, because the radars were out of alignment. Were there, are there no warning lights to advise when they're not properly functioning? No, and that's a, that's a common uh, misconception. You know, the systems are getting smarter. They're starting to figure out how, how to use other sensors to kind of validate uh, that one sensor's reading is correct. But by and large, no. And, and the reason is, you know, when you think about a, a warning light, a check engine light or a trouble code or something, these things are all generated because the computer senses a, a parameter that's gone out of the allowable operating. So, you know, you think about a basic throttle position sensor, most of the time you'll see where the, you know, the actual available voltage is anything from zero to say five volts, but the manufacturer says the, uh, the accepted operating voltages on that sensor are maybe from 0.4 volts at idle or 0.7 volts at idle to maybe 4.2 volts at wide open throttle. So, if, if the computer senses a voltage reading on that sensor line that's outside of that threshold, it says, well, the sensor must be open or it must be shorted or there's a power supply problem. When you're dealing with a, an, an ADOS type component and you shift a camera two degrees to the left because you, you know, reinstalled it, it has no way of knowing. I mean, everything is still within parameter. And as far as it, it doesn't even know it got moved because there's no way to tell it that. So it doesn't have any way of understanding that that uh, that car that it senses that's coming right at him is actually in the oncoming lane and right where he should be. So if that makes sense, that's one of the one of the big problems. And I think they are getting smarter. They're they're going to continue to get better. But there's an awful lot of vehicles out there now uh, that are not that smart. And I haven't seen yet where they where they're foolproof as as things get moved around. Oh, that's pretty fascinating. So to use your example, 
the Cadillac with the AC condenser replacement, how would a technician know that there's a sensor that's involved that would require recalibration? So that is a great question. Um, and it's not a really easy answer, but you know, this kind of, again, I'm showing my age here, but you know, when I worked in a, uh, actually in a Cadillac uh, dealership for when I started my career and in, in going up through my life as a, as a line technician, uh, both in the dealership and aftermarket, we looked at service information for reference, right? So if I, if I looked at that Cadillac and I, I kind of popped the hood and I took a look and I said, oh, well, there's some bolts here. I got to get this thing out of the way. I got to move that box out of the way. I've got to do these things. I might not even think about looking at a manual because in my day, we were trained that when you looked at a manual, you looked there for reference. And if you really studied it, it meant you didn't know what you were doing, right? So um, I would just tackle it. I've got a 13 millimeter or 15 millimeter socket. I've got a couple of wrenches and I, I, I go do the job. And if I refer to that manual at all, maybe it would be just to look up how much refrigerant needed to go back into it uh, once I put the new part in and maybe how much oil to put in the condenser or something like that. Um, and I think that's part of the problem today is we need to start training ourselves and training our techs that even for a job that you think you know what you're doing, Take a quick gander at the service information and take a look at it because it'll tell you about that, that part and that necessary calibration and things like that. And, you know, you need to do the, the research to make sure that what you're affecting isn't going to have undesired consequences. Now, I say that and I say anytime you're doing work on a car, you should check the ADOS system. But the second issue is, as we said earlier, ADOS is not a thing. And, and because it's not even recognized by a lot of the manufacturers, it's hard for a technician sometimes to even know that they should look around a category, around a, a job process, right? I mean, it's, it's not so clear. So technicians that work in a primarily flat rate world don't really have the time to research all these. You know, they get paid for doing, not for thinking, if, if, if that makes sense. So, you know, one of the things that we've done in, in the pro-demand information product that we market is we actually... Uh, use AI to drill through all the uh, service procedures, and we have a quick reference on the on the front of that on the entry screen once you've identified a vehicle in that product that says ADOS driver assistance. And if, if you know technicians should probably start taking a look at that. Just you've identified a vehicle, you've identified that Cadillac, you cl click the ADOS uh, driver assistance button, and it'll tell you all the different ADOS related systems that could have been installed on that car all the components that support those and when those components might need, might need calibration. So um, that's what we've tried to do to make it easier for the technicians, but it, it is kind of a daunting task. Oh, well, I guess I never really thought about that, but I guess it's one thing to need the calibration, but quite another for a shop or a tech to identify and understand the impact that doing the general maintenance might do to the calibration of these components. So let's shift back to the EVs for just a moment. Um, I know we're, we're looking at a slow ramp up. So when should shops and techs become like EV ready and confident they can serve these vehicles? Well, that's another good question. So, you know, I started out this conversation by saying we didn't have to worry about it today because these are, it's going to be a, a, a slow ramp. But having said that, um, it, you know, this is probably not an answer that or a question that has a one size fits all answer. Um, from my perspective, you know, having owned a shop in the past, I never turned a vehicle away. So, right. So, I mean, I, I dealt primarily with people that had luxury vehicles, Oldsmobiles, Cadillacs, and things like that. But then they had their, um, their uh, you know, whatever it was, a Nissan or Toyota or a, 
or something else that they have for their kid to go to college in. And I always felt that if I turned those vehicles away, even though they weren't my specialty at the time, that I would lose the entire customer because, you know, I, as a consumer, also like to have a shop that can take care of my, my entire fleet of vehicles, not just, you know, one or two. And I think that the same thing's going to happen with EVs. You know, I think a lot of families are going to have an ICE, an internal combustion engine vehicle for a long time, but they might get an ICE, or I mean, an EV vehicle for, you know, the just, you know, around town, commuting to work, what have you. So if they bring their EV in, even though it's going to be by far the lower percentage of vehicles showing up in your bay, um, if you turn that vehicle away, you risk, I think, Turning, losing the business of the core cars that you've been maintaining for these, these people for a long time. So while, you know, it's kind of a balancing act, I think like, you know, here we're, we're located in California. We probably see more EVs than most other areas of the country. So for California shops, I would say if you're not, you know, prepping to work on EVs today, you're probably signing your, you know, you're going out of business card um, prematurely. Other people, I know I've talked to shop owners in like North Carolina, they say they've never seen an EV vehicle roll into their shop, even asking for service. So, you know, you probably want to you know, watch that for a while and, and start thinking about it. Having said all that, EVs are electric vehicles. If you, you know, if, at the very least, you should understand even, even for the hybrids and for the electrically enhanced internal combustion engines, you should understand what electricity is, how it operates. If you don't know Ohm's law today, you're, 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 you're in bad shape. And you should probably, there's plenty of training around to, to get up to speed and, and learn how to do that. But, you know, I think that you're probably not gonna get rich on EVs anytime soon. Uh, so they'll probably be what you might consider a necessary evil for some amount of time. But I don't think it's a scary proposition to at least be prepared to do some basic diagnosis and repairs on them either. That makes sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. And so what do these shops need to do to be ready for EVs? Well, like I said, you know, they, they, they're probably, you know, in reality, they're probably pretty well equipped already. Um, as I said, they've got to understand Ohm's law, electricity. Um, and because we're used to 12 volt systems, we'll be working with systems up to, you know, 800 volts, which can definitely, you know, ruin your day if you don't approach them properly. But Usually those things, well, I mean, by code, those are well-defined on the vehicle. They're the big, bright orange colors and, you know, just don't touch, don't probe, don't, you know, don't think about uh, surf servicing those particular systems unless you properly discharge that system. Um, probably the main thing you're going to need is make sure you've got some really good electrically insulated gloves uh, so that when you're tinkering with those things, you're, you're protected. Um, you'll want to understand how to disable the high voltage systems, which, oh, by the way, is not standardized. So that, again, you'll need your service information and make sure that you, uh, you know, use that uh, and, and do it properly because you don't want to, you know, sometimes you take off, you turn off that HV switch and they say it can take uh, 10 to 20 minutes for the supercapacitors in there to wind down. So even if you've, you think you've disabled it, there may still be a live voltage on there for some amount of time. So things like that, you know, I, you know, it's probably self, self-serving self since I work for a repair information company, but you're going to have to look at that repair information to make sure that it, the car is safe to safe to service. Okay, yeah, I guess that sounds about right. So techs have been dealing with electrical systems and electronics for years now. EV just takes that to a whole new level. You mentioned a heavier reliance on service information. Is that service information available for EVs yet? And if not, when do you expect it? 
Uh, really good question. So um, the good news for us uh, is, you know, all of the traditional automakers, the people that we've had in our products for years and they're, they're, we're used to working with them, uh, they have just been introducing EVs to us as they, in, as they introduce any other model. For them, it's just another model. So yes, we have I, um, you know, all the GM, Ford, Chrysler, Nissan, Toyota, all, all those people as they continue to evolve their EV strategies. So far, they've been including all that information in the, in the information that we put into our product. So that is in ProDemand today. Um, there, there are some of the non-traditional manufacturers, the emerging ones, uh, most notably Tesla and uh, Lucid and Rivian and, and folks like that, that have not yet, you know, they're not, they don't have traditional distribution. They don't have traditional service uh, shops. Uh, that allows them to kind of, you know, skirt around the, the existing right to repair stuff for a while. Um, and so far, they have not really uh, have not really made their information available to us. Um, right now, Tesla is probably the only brand that really counts because they're the only ones that really have enough market share, you know, other than the traditionals. Um, and I will just say, you know, I can't promise anything, but we are in dialogue with them, have been for quite some time. Um, and we expect to get their content into our products as well. Um, but, you know, we got to do it right. Um, but our, our goal and expectation is that we'll have full coverage of all, you know, except for the exotics, we're probably not going to have a Ferrari EV in here anytime soon, but, um, you know, we'll be tr consistent with what we do with the internal combustion engines today. Okay. And what about ADOS? You know, what tools and or information might be required to properly service these types of vehicles? Right. So, you know, and in my opinion, that's actually a little more complicated um, because to service those vehicles is a little bit of a challenge because again, they never standardized, you know, they're, um, and so some vehicles have what they call static calibration, which means you need to do a, uh, a, you need to have targets and fixtures and things like that to actually perform the calibrations. Others have what they call dynamic calibrations, which means you can put the car in a state using typically a, a off the shelf scan tool uh, where then you have to drive it around uh, uh, under certain conditions and it'll calibrate itself by recognizing uh, certain things over time. And so, you know, if you're going to say you're in ADOS, you, you could say, well, I'm in ADOS, but only for, you know, <laughs> one brand that uh, allows dynamic, but not for the brands that require static. And there are brands that require both. They, they, they need a static to kind of set the, uh, the basic calibration and they use dynamic to fine tune it. So, um, you know, for, for those vehicles that need static calibration, you need these targets and you need space. The, the targets and the fixtures uh, can be bought. There's a variety of companies, including Snap-on, that, uh, that make them. And I think they've, come, they've gotten out with their fairly reasonable, uh, not, not that big of an investment. Uh, but some of these vehicles don't only require the targets, but they need a fair amount of uncluttered space so that as you're doing that static calibration, you don't accidentally lock their cameras or radars onto like uh, the edge post of a four post lift or something like that. So, um, so you, you need some space, some uncluttered open space. And even the dealerships are, are finding this challenging uh, from time to time. So, you know, for those folks that, uh, that need that, they're going to have to figure out either they're going to have to sublet those vehicles to, Another shop that has decided to do that, um, we kind of see a lot of these hub and spoke relationships starting out where uh, somebody has the space, invests in the, in the technology and, uh, and the, uh, the resources, 
to, uh, and, and then they will take work from the local body shops, from the local mechanical shops, even sometimes from dealerships uh, to keep feeding that. And then the, that, that means the other shops can just focus on what they do well and not have to worry about trying to make all this space available. And then, you know, the expectation, I guess, is that as this becomes more popular and they see, you know, as a business, if I was sending it all out and I got to the point that I was sending out enough work, I'd say, you know what, it's time for me to solve the space problem, right? And, and go get this business because I don't really want to have to pay my competition to, to do the service. But those are kind of the things we see we see happening on ADOS. Okay, I got that. Um, so I can imagine there's a lot of shops that fall into this category. How did they respond to this need, Ben? Well, like I say, they, you know, they, that's really what drives this hub and spoke relationship. You know, we, we see, we've seen shops that have done this. We've seen shops that do remote. Uh, we've seen, we've seen businesses that have actually opened up with uh, remote centers established, established around urban areas specifically to do all that, to make those services available. Um, and then there, the, you know, if you have the space, but not the equipment, there are mobile guys that can come out and they have the equipment. They'll set it up in your shop on your space and like do a calibration day and get your, your shop all wrapped up. And, you know, maybe they, they kind of plan and schedule their vehicles around, you know, having those guys in once a week or once every couple of weeks or whatever is, is appropriate for the amount of work they're getting. You know, the, the bottom line though, is that um, if you're doing the work, you've got to have a plan, whether you're going to do it yourself, whether you're going to send it out. Um, because what we don't want is we don't want, news stories that you know make us put us in a bad light that say look you know the, this these aftermarket people can't service these cars safely anymore and put them back on the road because you know the vehicle uh, acted improperly slammed on its brakes when it shouldn't have and got rear-ended whatever that might be um and that's the main thing but you know people are either you know figuring it out and making the space or they're subbing it out one last question for you is where do you see all this going? Like, will, you know, will there be enough work to go around as these electronic, you know, electronically sophisticated cars start to roll out and gain traction? I think the answer is absolutely yes. You know, we are definitely bullish on, uh, on, on what's going on in the opportunities here. It's definitely going to change. And, you know, the automotive aftermarket has dealt with change for as long as I've been in it for more years than I want to admit to. Um, and during that time, I've seen, you know, three or four times that the demise of the entire aftermarket repair industry has been predicted. And every time those predictions have been proven false. So, you know, as I said in the beginning, nothing's happening overnight. Um, I think last year, somewhere around three or 4% of the vehicles sold were truly EV. Uh, internal combustion engines are and will continue to be the, the dominant propulsion system uh, for a long time. I know that the recent fuel prices kind of suggest that that might be accelerated, but I think that's all going to get solved. And like I said, it's not just me saying it, but, um, you know, the forecast is that over 10 years from now in 2035, the forecast is still about 5% of vehicles will be uh, in the aftermarket sweet spot. So uh, even as they evolve, I think we're seeing enough complicated systems evolving with them that we'll have plenty to do, you know. Um, they all have the steering, suspension, and braking systems, and we covered the uh, HVAC systems and how elaborate those have gotten. Um, you know, in, in, as these manufacturers kind of struggle to make them, you know, acceptable by the general public, you know, I think as Americans especially, we, we, we've proven that we still love to drive, and we love the excitement and the feel of the drive, and, you know, Tesla, one thing that they did for us is they proved that EVs did not have to be boring. But I saw, like, if you've seen the concept Jeep Wrangler that was introduced last year, 
they actually took an EV powertrain and made it up to a six-speed manual transmission. And Porsche and Audi and others are, are tinkering with that stuff as well. And I think that you're going to see more of that um, just to, to make it really, you know, make the, the public not only accept them, but, but, but want them. And as they continue to make them more complicated, those are just more components that are going to ultimately need some sort of service and maintenance and, and repair. Um, so I think the services will gradually change over time. I think a lot of it will be more electronically enhanced, of course, uh, not just for the propulsion, but for all these ADOS and, and other systems we're dealing with. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm excited to, to be a part of it and, and to keep watching, watching how it goes. But I think, I think we're in for a good, solid, uh, I think we're in for a lot of fun. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like this is a very encouraging report for shop owners, particularly those who may have been anxious or concerned about what the future may hold or how it may alter their business. So I definitely appreciate you hopping on the episode with me and just sharing all your, uh, your wisdom. Well, absolutely. I really appreciate the time and, uh, and look forward to doing it again sometime. All right. Thanks so much, Ben. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. Now go make the rest of your day the best of your day. And we'll see you back here next week on Rest for Rich Radio.